you will find in many churches a sign reading children's ministry. Now, there's some debate about exactly when these children's ministries began. Some say it's hard to know. We at least know at the time of the Reformation that catechisms became popular. You may be familiar with that word. It's that Q&A way of teaching a child the Bible or Bible doctrine. Something peculiar happened during the Industrial Revolution as well. During that Industrial Revolution, a new kind of worker was created, a young worker, a very young worker, in the form of a boy. Well, these boys would work six days a week, finding a lot of trouble on their seventh day, this day off. Well, what happened then is they opened schools, schools to teach these boys how to read, and they used the Bible to teach them. They called it Sunday school. Well, with the advent of the church growth movement just a few decades ago, a whole new revolution occurred. It's a wholesale upgrade. Now there's thousands of people in the church with unlimited budgets, new ways and new goals. The sky's the limit for children's ministry. All that to say is that over time, in just about any local church, you will find a children's ministry. We have one here at Emmanuel, by the way. Diane does a great job directing it. We have over 40 volunteers. It's the largest volunteer segment of all of our ministries at Emmanuel. Our ministry to our children, it teaches the Bible, it proclaims the gospel, and among all of our ministries, it ranks number one at causing cavities. But I can tell you where children's ministries began. Children's ministry began with a boy named Cain in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. You see, wherever there was a household with a child, there is children's ministry. A parent is charged with a children's ministry. You see, the sign that hangs above many rooms in many churches today should also be a sign that hangs above every Christian household because it's within every household that has a child where, the Lord of, where God is Lord of the house. It is there that there is a children's ministry. God charges parents, mom and dad, with children's ministry. This is a spectacular department in a local church, but it's also a tremendous charge to us parents. And because God charges parents with a ministry to children, this morning we'll explore three aspects of this amazing gift. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're in verses 13 through 15 today. If you're just joining us, we are working our way through the gospel of Matthew. We go a few verses at a time. Our previous unit dealt with marriage, divorce, and singleness. Jesus now speaks to children. Verses 13 through 15, it's, it's a, a picture of the love of our Lord for children. Today is a fitting reminder for this message. It's a reminder that the battle for their souls is real. Abortion kills more children under the age of one 
than anything else. The World Health Organization reports that annually, on average, 73 million children worldwide are aborted. 73 million. I read that in my notes reviewing this morning, and I thought I had a typo. I went back, and it's true. 73 million worldwide. We might think that they're advocating for some kind of legislation against abortion, but they're not. They're stating it as a matter of fact and and advocating for, for choice and for what they call reproductive rights. To put that in perspective, over the entire pandemic of COVID, six million people died. That's all years, all ages. The public school system is also Satan's playground. Some elementary schools now host a drag queen story hour. Here in Bellingham, in our community, one grade school reads to the class, quote, I am jazz. It's a book about a two-year-old male who transitions to become a female. You probably know about Senate Bill 5395. That mandates public schools to teach a comprehensive sex education. It begins with kindergarten. I looked up one of their plans online. Even the statement behind the link I was about to click on read, warning, language is graphic in nature. The lesson I read teaches kindergartners the names of their body parts, and it provides the disclaimer, quote, being a boy or girl doesn't mean you have those parts. And you could imagine as a child advances in grade levels, things only get worse from there. In fact, all a child needs to discover the depravity of this world is a smartphone or a tablet or a laptop. A simple internet connection can undo the child's innocence. One visit to a website, one encounter with a sexual predator, one post on social media, that may be all that it takes to taste the darkness this world offers for many children today, they lack stability, and they lack discipline, and they lack boundaries. They lack objective truth, and they lack examples to imitate. They lack biblical love, and they lack biblical morality, and they lack the God of the Bible. You see, our children need Jesus Christ, and we need to lead them to him. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then some children were brought to him, to Jesus, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. We have three points this morning, and each of them can be summarized by one word. In the ministry charge to every parent this morning, a parent must lead, encourage, and evangelize. Lead, encourage, and evangelize. I want to begin with with lead. In our account today, we find parents bringing their children to Jesus. 
This was not unusual in the time of Jesus. Many parents would do this. They would seek out a, a, a known rabbi, uh, a gifted leader in the Jewish synagogue, and they would ask for a blessing. Some prominent rabbi would lay his hands upon the child and pray or bless that child. Well, you could imagine Jesus held that reputation. We're some time into his ministry now, and he's made quite a name for himself. Looking back into Matthew chapter 4, Matthew summarized his ministry. Speaking of Jesus, he says that he's going through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Word's going to spread. People bring to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, Jesus healed them all. I mean, we know on top of that that our Lord lived a sinless life, that he was a, an amazing teacher. He captivated people with his teaching. No one spoke like him. And his life, it backed his message. To have this opportunity to, to see Jesus, to bring a child to him, it is worth the wait. I could imagine there had to be a line forming that day. You've been in one of these lines, I'm sure. Maybe it's at one of those busy amusement parks. You're just, you're slowly snaking your way closer, going through those rails. The sun's beating down. You're baking with kids in tow. What a gift this would be for the parents. It is well worth it. What a gift this would be for the kids to to, to meet Jesus the Christ. Do we not desire the same? For our kids to know Jesus, to meet him, to receive his blessing? That brings up the question then, how do we lead them to Christ? How do we lead our kids to Christ? First, we need to lead ourselves. We need to lead ourselves to Christ. Leading children comes as as an overflow of what we're already doing in our own lives. If we're pursuing Christ, if we're obeying Christ, if we're going hard after him, that's going to trickle down to our kids. It's like a a cup that is full. That's going to spill over. And to say it another way, one must follow well to lead well. The better we follow Jesus, the better we can lead others to him. In fact, Jesus himself is the perfect example of this. He fully submitted himself to his father. He fully submitted himself to God. And because he did this, he took this gang of ragtag disciples and he turned them into the type of men who would spread a gospel message so far and planting it so deep that 2,000 years removed from them, there's still a guy up in front of you preaching from the book. Jesus could lead disciples well because he followed his Father well. And when we lead ourselves to Christ, we can lead others there too. It'll be an overflow. We'll be full. We'll we'll have much to give. Secondly, how do we lead our children to Christ? Well, we take them to the Word. We take them to the Bible. It is in the Bible where Christ may be found. 
He's no longer traveling the countryside as he was in that passage I read you. You will not hear of Jesus healing down in Algiers. He's in the Bible. And if we're to find him, it's only through this inspired, inerrant, infallible word. The Gospels, clearly. The Epistles, certainly. And the Old Testament? Yes, even the Old Testament. You might recall his exchange with some followers of his, following his resurrection. He's walking along the road. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms that must be fulfilled. That's another way of speaking of the Old Testament, the, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They all spoke of Jesus. He's all throughout the scriptures. And to truly find him is to find a real historical person. If you fail to find uh, some kind of feeling or, or emotion or, or experience, you haven't failed to find Jesus. It is to find uh, objective truth, unchanging truth in the Bible. That's where the journey begins. The feelings and the emotions and the experiences, they'll come. We talked about this in Sunday school. Just like any relationship we have with, with a, a spouse or, or a friend or someone we know in this life. We have experiences, we have emotions. That will be true when we have Jesus as well. But it begins with Jesus and the truth of the Bible and all of those experiences, all of those emotions, they then follow. Thirdly, how do we lead children to Jesus? Well, we take ownership. We take ownership. We lead children, not others. We take the reins. We drive the train. That's what parents do. In fact, when it comes to preparing children for life, the Bible points to parents. It points to mom and dad. Take the book of Proverbs, for example. We might call this the Bible's treatise on wisdom. Proverbs is just overflowing with wisdom. But in the first nine chapters of that book, it's a father speaking to a son. He appeals to him with the words, if I counted them correctly, he says to the son 15 times, my son. My son, hear. My son, listen. My son, observe. My son, keep. My son, give attention. This is a parent speaking to a child to teach him or her wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. The father and the mother, they lead the child together. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And to bring this together, when, when mom and dad are, are leading, when they are leading themselves to Christ and they're bringing the wisdom of Christ to that child, they are leading that child to Jesus. I mean, just think about all the places that, that we, we lead our children. We like to take our children to places they like to go. We take them to places that we know are good for them. May we, with that same energy, lead our children to Jesus and to the truth of Jesus in the Word. 
So we lead our children to Christ. Secondly, we encourage. We encourage them. If you notice in our account today, Jesus rebukes any obstacles to him. There are some discouragements that are coming from those disciples. Jesus rebukes it. Jesus said, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me. I find this a bit curious. What, why would the disciples do this? I mean, isn't this what we think they would want? Isn't this a good thing? You know, over in, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, they, they both contain this account. We're not given a reason by them either as to why the disciples would do this. Maybe Jesus was too tired. At least in their minds, perhaps he needed a break. Maybe Jesus is too important. Some think they weren't as important as adults in this time. Maybe the disciples wanted this time with him. I mean, surely you've witnessed the scene. You have just one child, all alone, can be pretty quiet, pretty shy, and another child comes along. Children are much better at introductions than we are as adults. They start playing. Along come more children, and then there's running and jumping and yelling and laughing and rolling. Statistically, I'm imagining this scene. Statistically, I would think that this scene is going to be a little more crazy and chaotic than it is calm and quiet. Maybe the disciples just wanted some peace. Well, the disciples rebuked the parents, and Jesus rebukes the disciples. The Gospel of Mark, I mentioned, Mark records this account, and he uses a word to describe Jesus. And Mark, by the way, more than any other gospel author, he's speaking about the emotional reactions of Jesus. We learn more about the emotional life of Jesus through Mark's gospel than we do anyone else. We're pretty familiar with his emotions by now. We're in Matthew chapter 19. We've been walking along with Jesus through his ministry. We've seen him moved with compassion. We've seen Jesus sternly warning looking around in anger, grieved at a hardness of heart. We've seen Jesus sighing deeply, and Mark now describes Jesus as indignant. He describes his emotional state as that of indignation. It's the only time this word is used in the Gospels of Jesus. He's incensed, offended. He's irate. May no one discourage children from coming to Christ. You may recall back in chapter 18, back in verse 6, Jesus says unashamedly, it would be better to have a heavy stone hung around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That begs the question now, how do we remove hindrances to Christ? We know we want to lead them to Jesus. We know it's possible to discourage or to interfere with that. We see the rebukes in today's passage. How do we encourage them? 
Well, the first thing that we need to do as parents is to remove hypocrisy. Remove hypocrisy from our own lives. Children in in our society today are hard-pressed to find good role models. Good role models ought to begin with mom and dad in the house. They need people of integrity to emulate. I'm talking about people of character, and this is hard to do, I know. Now, there's hope. We're going to address that at our next point, but for right now, I just want to make a case for integrity. In his time pastoring a church in Flagstaff, Pastor Stephen Colt said this way, children have a built-in antenna to detect hypocrisy in their parents. Nothing turns kids away from the faith as quickly as hypocritical parents. It may be safe to say that no one is watching our lives like our kids. Maybe scary to say. Because kids, they know if we're professing faith in Jesus. And then they're watching to see what that faith looks like. You know, if they witness this morning us singing, crown him with many crowns, or excuse me, crown him Lord of all, our first song, but then we go home and yell at them with the same mouth in which we sang to the Lord, they'll detect a hypocrisy. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, says James. He says these things ought not to be. Hypocrisy is a stumbling block to Jesus. Secondly, ritual can be a stumbling block. We remove hypocrisy and we need to remove ritual. We need to speak to our children of our relationship with Jesus. If we have a relationship with him, we should speak to that or we should share that with our kids. Now, I'm not saying that we need to discard rituals. In our lives, we need rituals. We need procedures. We need to gather to worship Jesus every Sunday. I mean, obviously, if we abstain from that, that has an impact on the child. We need to read from our Bibles. When we have our our corporate gathering this morning, we're reading, we're praying, we're singing. These are all rituals or procedures that we do, and, and they're good. But these rituals are meant to take us somewhere. If I could say it this way, they're more the bus than the destination. The destination is Jesus. And Jesus comes alive in the lives of our children when we speak of him. If we have a real relationship with him, we ought to share that with our children. If you have Christ, tell your kids about it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is preparing God's people to go into this promised land. They've been through a lot over 40 years. I'll tell you, that makes the relationship with, with God. And Moses asks Israel before they enter, what great nation is there? that has a God so near to it as the Lord your God whenever we call on him. In other words, the surrounding religions had their own gods and they had to, 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 to beg and cajole them into to responding and reacting to their prayers. They had all kinds of rituals that they did. But the God of Israel, Moses says, this is a relationship. And they were not to hide it. Listen to what he says next. Give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. And this is key, but make them known to your sons and to your daughters. Tell your children about the living God. 
Are you excited about Jesus this morning? If we are, are we telling people about that? Are we sharing that with our children? I mean, do you have a story to tell? One story of his faithfulness. I'm sure you have a library. How about a personal testimony? Do your children know of how God brought you into the kingdom? How he gave you courage when you were afraid. Our children are afraid. How he gave you peace when you were anxious. Our children are anxious. How about that time that you opened up the Bible and you went right to that verse that applied to you right in that moment? Tell your children about that. Share your relationship with your child. Thirdly, it's a third barrier or a third hindrance to the kingdom. It's manipulation. We want to remove manipulation from our children. That is to say that salvation comes from God. Salvation is from the Lord. We can't produce it. We can't manufacture it. I think we'd like to. I think we want to know, I want to know if my children are saved. I want to, 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 to see them pray a prayer. I want to hear them say it. I want clear evidences of that. Some comfort, some assurance. I think that's a natural reaction. But we want to be careful that we don't do things to manipulate them. To, to force them into the kingdom or to bring ourselves some assurance or comfort. Unduly. And let me just give you two examples to be clear. These are from two different pastors. One is sharing his experience after a morning worship service. It was a communion Sunday. There was a son with his mom, and the son was eyeing the communion juice. And the mom told him, you can't take communion until you ask Jesus in your heart. So he asked Jesus into his heart so he could take communion. Another example comes from a summer VBS. All the kids in the vacation Bible school were given a piece of paper. They're supposed to write their name at the top of that paper. And in the front of the class, there were two barrels. One barrel labeled heaven, the other barrel labeled hell. If I understand the account correctly, someone lit a fire in the hell barrel. And the kids were supposed to take their names and go put them in one of the barrels. I don't think that was a hard decision. But we know that these are not ways to lead children to Jesus. They tend to be forms of manipulation. They're going to produce false conversions. A true saving faith can be stifled by hypocrisy, as we discussed. It can be stifled by, by empty rituals and by the kind of manipulation in these stories. But we want to encourage our children to come to Jesus to remove these barriers. Jesus says, do not hinder them. So we lead, we encourage, and we evangelize. Thirdly, we evangelize. Give them the gospel. Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I remember back in Matthew chapter 18, we learned that there's something about children that we ought to imitate, even as adults. 
Jesus says in verse 3, unless you are converted to become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And taken all together, if you wish to go to heaven, you must have the humble trust of a child. Belief in the gospel takes you to heaven, but it's the humble trust that enables salvation. We need humble trust to come to God. Just think about it for a minute. I'm going to read you one verse. It's, it's the gospel summarized in one verse. Jesus preached this in the gospel of Mark. He's walking along. Jesus declares, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We need humble trust to do that. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent. Repent means to change. Repent essentially means to to change our minds. Repent means to turn, to stop sinning and turn from sinning and turn to God. Repent means to give up control of our own lives. We're going to make a change rather than uh, myself being in charge of my life. It's now in the hands of God. It's to give all of our lives to Jesus Christ. Well, who can do that without humility? We need humble trust. We need humility to repent. Pride has sealed the fate of more than one soul in hell. Humility brings us to God. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. We need humility. How about trust, a humble trust? To believe in the gospel? To believe in some of the things that the Bible affirms? That's going to take trust. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe that Jesus is fully God. Believe that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he not only died on a cross, but he rose from the dead to trust. We need trust to believe that. And trust is going to hold us. Trust. It's trust in, in those final moments as your breathing slows, as your breathing's now more labored, as your eyelids grow heavy. You can't quite get comfortable. You're a little confused about where you are. We're clinging to the gospel by trust. Who could enter the kingdom without these things? What do they look like? Jesus points to children. Look at a child. Look at the humble trust of this child. They are examples to us. But to our point this morning, they're not only examples. They're examples to evangelize. How do we evangelize our children? The great question of our third point this morning, well, we need to pray for them. We need to pray. The great E.M. Bounds, that 19th century author, says, the gospel cannot live, fight, conquer without prayer. Prayer unceasing, instant, and ardent. Your child's journey to salvation begins on your knees. That's how our children come to faith. It begins with you and I praying for them. We teach. We teach them about the gospel. We teach them the Bible. 
And this is something that, that you can do. Listen to Deuteronomy again. Chapter 6, verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, just by a show of fingers, you can put your hands up for this part. How many degrees, college degrees, did the people of the time in this verse have? Zero. Zero. That's right. Zero. How about one diploma? Surely this charge is given to someone with a high school level education. How many diplomas? I don't think so. I don't think so. Zero. None of these people given this charge were doctors. None of them were professors. These were all children of slaves in Egypt. But who did God charge to be the teachers of the children? Them, the parents. They were given the charge to teach the children. And they were told to teach diligently. That's a great word. That word has to do with repetition. It's a word, a related word has to do with a sharpening. And you heard the variety of locations. They're to do it in the house, on the way, at night, or in the morning. I submit to you that not only can you do this, mom and dad, but you live in a time when we're spoiled. There are tons of good resources out there designed for just about every age and development. There's so many ways we can teach our children the the beauty of Jesus Christ. And lastly, and don't forget this one, proclaim. Don't forget to actually tell your child the gospel. I remember attending a pastor's conference a few years back, and I imagine that the speaker was keeping an eye on broader, the church more broadly, and had a pretty good handle on what's going on in churches. So he selected this theme or this this topic, and the title of his message was, Read the Text. And I think that what he observed was that there's a tendency for preachers to prepare and then get up and deliver a sermon, but to completely forget to read the Bible text. It's so obvious that it's forgotten. Well, so it is with evangelism and evangelism to our children. We just assume that they know the gospel. And we just assume that perhaps they've heard it in Sunday school or in church. Or we assume that they believe the gospel. Do not assume that. It's up to mom and dad to, to proclaim the good news to the children. So grab a pulpit and drag it in their room and grab a bullhorn. Don't do that. But look for an opportunity to talk. Say a prayer and then take your time with your child. Share the gospel in very clear and simple terms. Ask Jesus into your heart is confusing, especially for younger kids who think literally. Ask open-ended questions when you're done to, to see if the child understood what you're talking about. Not yes and no questions, but but questions to to keep a conversation going and to have some dialogue. I think that there's certain windows in a child's 
life when, when they're, they're more ready for these conversations. You can't design it. You can't schedule it. I can remember trying to talk to my kids from time to time, and I have just this great lead-in. I'm ready to talk to them about the Lord, and kind of like laying on their back with their feet in the air, and they're playing with a ball. It's like, ah, I don't think you're quite ready. But there's times when they are. There's times when they'll, they'll come and they'll ask a question or times where there's just some theme. It just seems like now's the moment. So we live a lot of our lives as parents just looking for that open door. And finally, we can invite the, the child to, to pray if they're ready. I think that that's a very natural response to talk to God, um, especially um, if, if they're understanding the gospel and then they want to receive that gift. It's very normal for us to do that, isn't it? Christmas time, for example, we receive a gift from someone. We, we usually thank them for it. We, we talk to them. Um, it's, it's quite logical to talk to God and for our child to pray to God. And again, lastly, just to reiterate what we mentioned, don't force them into a decision. You just need to be patient. Don't, don't be anxious. This is in God's hands. He will handle the outcome. Because for you and I as parents, we're just missionaries. God will handle the follow-up. So this morning, proclaim, encourage, and lead your child to Christ. And I realized this morning that there are many here who don't currently have children in the household. But that doesn't mean that there's no application for you today. I mean, you've heard the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And there's some truth in that. Because a village, or in our case, a church community, a fellowship of faith can provide the infrastructure and the support, the help that families need to do the work of child rearing. A community can pray. You can pray. You can pray for for parents to have opportunities and, and to take them. You can pray that they would raise their children in the discipline and instruction in the Lord in this church. You can pray for children. You can pray that they would come to saving faith. You can pray with the parents. Let them hear your heart. Let them hear how you're praying for them, perhaps at home or when when they're not with you. You can serve. A community can serve. This is something that we all can do. We can serve. Again, the children's ministry here in Emmanuel, it exists to support the work of parents. There's numerous places to serve here, from, from the nursery to, to children's church, from Sunday school to revival. Next week, you'll hear about opportunities coming up this summer. You've heard me speak about it. We can even open up a school right out of this building, because in the years to come, based on what I opened up with this morning, there's going to continue to be a demand for solid schooling, for schooling that responsibly shepherds the heart of a child. And we have the facilities, and God will provide the finances. We just need a a team of volunteers who will say, hey, I want to look into this, and I want to work on behalf of our children. I want to open up this fighting front against Satan. And we can encourage. We saw that. You can encourage. I love Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. And I'll tell you, tell you that parents need encouragement. Parents need encouragement. They're, they're wondering, am I doing it right? Am I doing enough? Encourage them. It goes a really long way. Some seasons, parents wonder if there's even light at the end of the tunnel. 
Ministry to children is important, not only for parents, but for every Christian. Because the stakes are that high. Our children need Jesus Christ. We need to lead them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your your love for them. The way you receive them and welcome them. I pray this morning for our children that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ from a young age and that you would guard them and protect them from the evil one. That they would grow up to become missionaries, evangelists, pastors. We pray, Father, for our parents, asking that you would give them strength. Give them a grace to lean entirely upon you and use them mightily to lead these young souls to the Lord. Thank you for the work you're doing at Emmanuel to strengthen families, Father. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.